0: Let me remind you of a couple of things before we get started. Remember that there is an all-age devo tonight and everyone who can hear my voice is absolutely invited. Come on, we'll meet in multi-purpose building and we'll have a fantastic time and we'll uh, take that opportunity to kick off our Thanksgiving week. And also, just a reminder for you, there will be a new class beginning in the auditorium next Sunday morning, and I will have an opportunity to to teach that class, so if you'd like to attend that, uh, I would be more than welcome to have you there with us. If you've never preached a gospel sermon, if you've never had the opportunity to stand here and to look out here, Here's generally what goes through my head. What if this was the last gospel sermon you ever heard? What would you need to hear? What would I be able to stand before God and give an account and say I did everything I could? For you gentlemen who participate in the formalized worship service and you stand in this area, you have at some point in time seen this piece of paper. For you who, are, who never have, this is what it says. Preach like a dying man to dying men. Not only what do you need to, say, to hear in that final gospel sermon, but what if this was the last one I preached? What do I need to say? In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16, Paul writes that we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. And so with that in mind, I'd like for you at least to hear the last gospel sermon I'm going to preach during this hour, I guess. If this were my last one, this was exactly what I'd want it to be. If this were your last one, I think it would be the one you need to hear. Let's pay special attention in knowing that our time is limited, and that we'll start right here. Did you know God loves you? I don't mean do you know God loves you in the fact that you can read the words God loves you. I mean do you know and, and fully understand the fact that God loves you? Not just us in general as mankind, but you. Do you know that God loves you? You know, you start in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and begin to see all of the things that God provides for us simply because he loves us. We can look around and see nature that's provided for us because God loves us. We can see in Genesis chapter 2, God has provided for mankind the institution of marriage because he loves us. We can look in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25 and see God institutes the institution of government because God loves us. We can see in in Acts chapter 2 where God institutes the church because God loves us. Because he has a special desire for you. Do you know that? You know, all of those things he provided were for the best for you. And that God loves you. In Gen- uh, John chapter 3 and verse number 16, probably the most famous verse uh, in the Bible due to the NFL. You know, every time you see the NFL end zones, you see the sign John 3.16. And it says this, for God So loved mankind, so loved the world. He loved us in such a way that he was willing not only to provide for us physically, emotionally, spiritually. He wants to redeem us back to him. Do you understand that God loves you? Not just me. And not just you but do you understand that God loves you? This one who created all the things that we see, all the things that that we cannot see, all the things that we know, and, and all the things that we don't have a clue about, has decided to make us mankind as the crowning jewel of his creation. Because he loves you. If God did not love us, he would not have told us about himself. He would not have told us about our condition and how to change our condition, and yet he gives us 66 books, and depending on the size of font and and the size of book that you have, you could have a book as small as that one, or you could have a book as large as I have back there where every single word and every single letter dripping off of those letters is the love of God for you. Why was that world destroyed in Genesis chapter 6? Because of God's love. Why was that world destroyed? Why did they have the opportunity to rebound? Because of God's love. Why are you sitting right here, right now, in the state we live, in the country in which we live, with the freedoms that we have, because God loves you. You may look at this particular slide and perhaps you say, I already know that. And I hope that you do. But I need you to understand out of all of these slides, this particular one probably is the most important. Because if you don't fully understand this one, you'll never get the rest. Understand the fact that God loves you. So much so, He was willing to provide everything He can for us. Notice this. Not only does God love you, Without putting on Christ and baptism, you're lost. And that's necessary to hear. And understand these two facts. It's one, it's not comfortable to hear. And two, it's not really comfortable to tell people. But if I, as a gospel preacher, allow you to walk through this life thinking everything is is rose-colored glasses and you get to the end of your life and stand before God and he say, you're lost. Who's that fall on? Did I have opportunity to tell you? Without being obedient to God's will, I'm lost. That is, I have decided after understanding Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23 and Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23 that that all have sinned and that that the wages of sin is death. After understanding all of those things, I have decided then to follow after my own path. Jeremiah would warn of that. In Jeremiah chapter 10, in verse number 23 and 24, Jeremiah says it's, it's not even possible for man who walks to direct his own steps. And realistically, in 24, he goes on to say this. Not only is it not possible for man to direct his own steps, but you correct me, but, but not in your wrath. You see, you correct me in in love and in kindness and tenderness, but, but not in your wrath. When I follow after myself, I am lost. God, who has provided everything for me, and God, who loves me so much, has provided a book to help me understand the fact that I am lost. And without him, I will continue to be lost. The first slide was probably the most important. The second slide is probably the most difficult. Because I'm going to have to look at myself and put my life up against the standard of God's word and say, I am lost. I find myself in violation of God's will. Something must change, but... But What? How? How can a God who is perfect in every way and provided everything for me uh, because of my choices, how do, do those things change? How is it possible? Well, here it is. According to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, the way things change is the fact that Jesus died for you. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, Paul the apostle is inspired by God and he writes that in the process of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, verse 5, to redeem us back to him as sons, as, as joint heirs with Jesus. What a beautiful phrase. There, there are several phrases within the New Testament that teaches us about the saving power of Jesus and his blood and the, the plan of God and how that is beneficial to man. But this particular phrase, joint heirs with Jesus, gives us a, a, a different view of how deep the love of God is. And how resounding the reward of heaven truly is. We see things like um, city of gold, the, the eternal home of God. But for a moment, put yourself in the mindset that as being joint heirs with Jesus... There's not anything the Son of God will have that you and I want. I'll let that sink in. There's not a special place in heaven that's just for God and for the Savior. Jesus the Christ died for me. We spent an hour this morning in our class looking at different places that, that could possibly have been on the trail of which, where Jesus was as he was going to that crucifixion. Steps, places though that cross could have been. And I think our ultimate uh, decision within that class is this. The physical places are not nearly as important as what happened on that hill. As Hebrews 13 would tell us, outside of the gates of the city of Jerusalem, There's a man, not just a man, but the only guiltless man to ever walk on this earth. And we with wicked hands took, and we affixed him to a cross. And we killed him. And he died for me. And he died for you. And he died in order to redeem us or to buy us back to that God who loves us to restore the relationship that was already founded in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. When mankind sins, he destroys that relationship and Jesus dies to rebond that relationship. God wants the same relationship with you and with me that he had with Adam and Eve where he can walk through the cool of the day, where he can speak to them, where they can be friends. He had that relationship with Abraham who was called the friend of God. We can have that relationship too, understanding the fact that we are lost, but Jesus the Christ died to save me. If I understand my time is fleeting, and I understand that God loves me, and if I understand that I am lost, if I understand that Jesus died for me, then I must understand this Heaven is real, it's a real place designed for real people, given to us by God himself. Jesus will begin in John chapter 14, beginning in verse number 1, as, as he is wrapping up his earthly ministry. He begins to tell those disciples who will become the future apostles a few things in that upper room that he is speaking directly to them. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And realistically, in verse 1, uh, if we understood the, the language correctly, he would say more accurately, since you believe in God, believe in me also. Why? Because I am that Son of God. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so... Notice this phrase, I would have told you. Jesus wasn't here playing games and, 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 and selling fantasy stories. He said, if that weren't true, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Thomas, one of the 12 there, has a difficult time with that. And he said, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. What an interesting statement about heaven. No man goes to heaven and sees that Father unless they go through that sacrifice of Jesus the Christ. And he says that place is as real as it can be. And as a matter of fact, I've got a little work to do when I go back. Now, how long does it take to prepare heaven? I don't know. What's he going to do? I don't know. When will it be done? I don't know. I hate to to make this statement, but I guess I will. I guess it will be done when it gets finished. And it'll be ready when when it's ready. I know exactly the day it'll be ready, as a matter of fact. You can go ahead and write this down. It will be ready when Jesus returns. And heaven is real. And it's available for you. Not just some sort of idea of those characters within the Bible who were so great and only the ones that are found in Hebrews 11. It's not just for them. Heaven is designed for you. And just as much as heaven is real, so is hell. Which is a place not designed for you. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say in uh, Matthew chapter 25, the latter portion of that particular uh, chapter, around verse 36 through 46, that the uh, place known as hell is designed for the devil and his angels. For those who have been opposed to the very will of God, those who would try to strong arm God. That hell is not designed for mankind, but it's designed for those who would follow after the devil. But please understand this fact. Just because hell was not designed for people does not mean that people won't be there. There are men and there are women who are choosing not to follow after God. There are men and women who are choosing to stay lost, refusing the sacrifice. They will not be given the reward by God of heaven. Why? They haven't lived that life. They haven't lived a faithful life unto God. That's the requirement. Knowing that God loves me. Knowing that Jesus the Christ died for me and that as I follow myself, I'm lost. Knowing that heaven is real. A real place prepared for us and that hell is a real place that is not prepared for us. I need you to see and understand something else about hell. Hell is a place that God has never been nor will he ever be. We, we look at it and we, we automatically think, or at least I do, um, a lake of fire and hot and, and, and darkness. You know, if, if hell were just hot, we as probably as a human race could tolerate that. I've been to hot places, we learn how to adapt. Probably one of the most scary ideas about hell is this idea of outer darkness. Let's take a quick straw poll. How many of you like to walk through the woods at night in the dark? Just me? Alright. <laughs> that idea of of darkness and unknowing what is around us, and and the fear that's associated with that is altogether natural. If I understand the Bible correctly, I I think I have a, a deeper sense and understanding of why hell is so dark. There is a fire there, which, at least in our physical minds, would put off some light. But here you have a place where Light does not exist because God is not there. There's nothing pleasant. Nothing comforting. Could you imagine waking up in, in torment? Hearing the sound of teeth breaking and the sound of someone with a blood-curdling scream that you can't see. You don't know where it's coming from, only to realize it's coming from you. A place of loneliness and isolation. A place where God is not and nor will he ever be. A place that's permanent, just like heaven. If I understand those things, I need you to understand time will soon be over. I have at some point in time jokingly said I can't believe I've made it to 44 or 43 and now I can't believe I've made it to 43. If I live the average span of an adult, I have less years to go than I had already. Which doesn't seem possible, but I guess. You know what that means? Time is swiftly passing. You know what that means? I have less time now than I did yesterday. Yesterday. That means that I and you are hurling toward eternity while the minutes are long and the years are fast. It means one day I am going to stand before God and time for me, if not for all, of humanity will be over. It means I will come back into contact with this fact that God loves me. And I will come back into contact with this fact that Jesus has died for me. I will come back in contact with the idea that heaven is real, that hell is real, that time is short. And the catalyst of this whole face to face conversation with the Creator is this Are you lost? See, there are only two types of people found within the New Testament and realistically found within the Bible, those who are saved and those who are not. And as we look at this idea that time will soon be over and we know all of these things that are going to meet us on that final day, what will you do with it now? See, because now it's no longer a a Bible study and a sermon for you to study. Now we have to put the so what with the what. We've discussed the what. Jesus loving us and dying for us, God loving us, heaven and hell. Now we have to discuss the so what. So what are you going to do with that information? knowing that these things are true and that that you will on that final day stand before him? What will you do now? Will you let this opportunity pass you by? Will you just say to yourself, I think I'm okay. I've done just enough. I believe God is going to save me. Or, will you be prepared for that final day? Will you have the opportunity to respond to heaven's invitation? That invitation is always open. You know, that invitation has not closed since Jesus opened it in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 through 30. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. That invitation of Jesus to come back to God has not changed and will not change until he closes it when he comes back here. So while there is breath in your lung and a beat in your heart, you still have an opportunity to be obedient unto God. You still have an opportunity to understand God loves you, And that Jesus died for you. If you're willing to hear those things, you're willing to believe them. John 8 and verse number 24. If you're willing to believe them to the point where you're willing to do anything, would you be willing to repent of your sin? That is, change your mind, thus resulting in a change of walk and lifestyle? Would you be willing to confess that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? John 14 and verse 6, as he said he was. If you're willing to do those things would you be willing to put Christ on in baptism would you be willing to become a child of God today right behind me and behind this wall sits a pool of water ready to be used for those who would like to be baptized if you have been baptized let me ask you this do you understand that God loves you Oh yeah. Do you understand that Jesus died for you? You say, preacher, I sure do. I put him on in baptism. You understand heaven is real? Yes. And, heaven is, and hell is real? Yes. Do you understand time is short? Yes, preacher, I understand it all. Will he smile at you and say, well done? See, for us who have put on Christ in baptism, that's the question when I stand before God and he looks at my life seeing the things that I have done in order to be obedient to him is he going to smile at me on that final day and say you did all right"? if not brother or sister you also have time to change but understand this fact time is swiftly passing and it's time for us to redeem the time because those days are evil we can help you in any way, we beg that you come right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Softly and tender